We're halfway through the season and this week's episode we bring you some festive cheer and we look forward to 2024 and what's in store for us. Liverpool decked their halls with holly and jolly and finished the year top of the league. The other team bouncing from rooftop to rooftop is Bournemouth. You heard that right. They are the informed team in the league with 22 points in 10 games. Chelsea and United continue their duet as they match each other's highs and lows. while Arsenal's reindeer sleigh seems to be going a bit off course to finish the year. Spurs are doing everything they can just to stay in the party but it looks like the Grinch is finally stealing Newcastle's Christmas. All this and a feisty best and worst list for 2023 as we look at who's been naughty and nice this year. This week on the last episode of the year for the Talkie Taka podcast. All right lads welcome to episode 51 the last episode of 2023 it's been an eventful year the season looks like it's ramping up quite quite tastily for the end of the year let's get right into it ashwin how's your week been and what are your talkie points of the week hey raja um i think i would say like a good enough week uh, hoyland finally getting his goal as well which uh, which is actually my talky point of the week uh, you could see the emotion and the relief in the face of that young lad uh, he has been ridiculed beyond anything it's his first premier league goal so much expectation um uh, from not just united fans but in general as well so it was great to see that goal it kind of reminded me of that um uh, you know united uh, against villa 3-2 win where Federico Maqueda did something similar uh, one of the you know uh, legendary moments of the premier league i would say uh, i hope it does not end like that for uh, hoyland because kiko maqueda is nowhere right now but yeah uh, great to see united finally getting a win there yeah great week and it did throw back a lot to that aston villa game the one that everybody remembers um rk coming right to you how's your week been and i assume something to do with united's great finish uh, is your talking moment as well yeah definitely uh, you know going through uh, such bad times as a club uh, uh, like such a result uh, fans are totally buzzing about it we uh, basically we are in the mode where you know we uh, like make do with whatever we get so uh, the main thing for me uh, definitely great comeback when uh, and you know we uh, like deserve to enjoy it while it lasts which is maybe another 24 hours but i think the main thing for me uh, this week has been the impact of the academy kids uh, in the midst of all the gloom the academy kids have shown some uh, you know great promise and if we have to come out of the slump i feel that their enthusiasm their spirit and their confidence is going to help us a lot Ma- mainly i'm talking about uh, kobe mainu who's uh, continued to impress he made a mistake against west ham Uh, but other than that he's been really promising garnacho came to the party hoylun as uh, ashwin said has had his own struggles and he's now probably hopefully the worst is over for him kamwala uh, 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 like our center back made uh, like a pretty good debut against west ham and also a nice little cameo uh, against villa and and a couple of other kids so i am hoping that these guys get to play more and uh and they inspire some of the older people to you know put in the required work ethic the required effort yeah it things were not looking that great when uh, the west ham game had just finished but uh, i think a much needed 
shot in the arm for United to finish the year off. Um, all right, coming to my talking moment of the week, um, we have two two United fans and one Liverpool fan on the pod this week, and we're going right into our clubs for our talking moments. So mine is Diogo Jota's back. I think uh, we've missed him terribly. He brings something totally different to the team. And just as Mo Salah is going to play his last game before the AFCON, uh, to have Diogo Jota come back, play a few minutes, score a goal, uh, do what he does best, I think that's a great thing for us heading into the season. We're hearing some good news about uh, Tiago finally uh, being able to play football after I don't know how many months. So... Things are looking up from that perspective as we're about to lose the best player that we have. So, uh, yeah, Diogo Jota coming back um, is definitely a positive sign. And we'll talk a bit more about that when we get into the, the games. Let's get into it. Arsenal. Two games and one point to finish the year. A point versus Liverpool. And perhaps a shocking, surprising loss to West Ham. Uh, quite similar to perhaps the result that we saw West Ham deliver to United um, uh, last weekend. So, what do you guys make of their week and what's what, what do we look forward to from Arsenal now going forward? Yeah, Arsenal, I think, are really uh, lacking in, uh, you know, attacking inspiration at the moment other than Odegaard. They really need to sort out the form of, uh, uh, like, the forward players, uh, Martinelli has had a you know pretty underwhelming season uh, thus far. Probably two or three goals uh, in the Premier League so far. I think all of them are in that uh, kind of range. Two, three, four goals. I think Saka is probably the player in the Arsenal ranks who has the highest number of Premier League goals with five. So other than Odegaard, the attack you know is really struggling to gel. I think Gary Neville. Uh, I'm not sure how uh, factual he was, but he was talking about the attackers. Uh, basically, Jesus, uh, Martinez and Saka not able to link, uh, you know, link up with each other. So, that's definitely a problem. Uh, and, you know, I think I think the point at Liverpool was a good point. Uh, of course, there were uh, some comical misses by Liverpool. Probably Liverpool should have got a penalty as well. But I think Arsenal would have come out of that game uh, pretty happy with the point. Uh, and, and they played pretty good in the first half as well. They finished the game strongly as well in between. Probably they had a patch where they struggled. But West Ham is where I think, you know, they huffed and puffed a lot without being really able to create, you know, very clear-cut chances and chances that they got. Saka messed it up and Jesus messed it up. So, uh, like today morning, we guys were discussing about Jesus. I, I, I am a big admirer of his play, but I think time and again, his lack of goals comes back to hurt them. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think just talking about those chances that um, RK mentioned, right? So, they actually missed those at the wrong moment i feel as well uh the after west you know after west ham went up you you know the play with any david moyes side they're just going to like defend the lead and saka hit the post which was i i feel he was quite unlucky he also got a header onto the onto the goal which i think ariola saved brilliantly so i think it's about taking those chances which arsenal have clearly been lacking uh so if you look at their xg obviously that's much higher than most teams out there but it's just about finishing those chances which they are missing. And this league is so ruthless as we have seen with, you know, even with United results, right? United have been starting some games, if not all, quite well. But then they concede and then it all goes down south. So, that is exactly what is happening with Arsenal. I'm not in any way suggesting that, you know, they are as bad as United are. But, you know, they are lacking that killer instinct. And it might mean that Arteta goes into the transfer window on the search for another striker as well. 
uh, Jesus, I think, listen, he is one of those guys who definitely helps with the play. I think that is what he did really well for City as well. It's But if they want to win a league, they need that marquee signing. They need someone who can get them the goals. They had this issue in the centre of the midfield. They solved that by uh, getting Declan Rice in. They need a Declan Rice kind of a signing um, at the front of the pack as well. And I think that is what will get them to finish those chances. Yeah, so I think Arsenal are a serious team. A serious team which are going to be there or thereabouts at the end of the season. This result completely took me by surprise. Uh, one, because they have played badly and got over the line so many times already. It's happened uh, several times this season. It happened a lot of times last season as well. Just the one thing that uh, I think surprised me more than anything is that towards the end of the game, you could see a bit of heads being lost. And uh, even even the, the penalty which they conceded, it was Declan Rice with a wild swipe at the end of the game giving away a penalty and it could have been a 3-0 home loss to West Ham. So that was one thing which was a bit surprising for me, the fact that they lost their heads towards the end of the game. Um, yes, there were a few good saves from the uh, from the West Ham keeper, but I felt like by the end of it, there was a little bit of desperation as well in Arsenal's play, which is uh, not a good sign considering how they finished last season uh, as well. But you can't make too much out of it because they've had... So many games where they've actually got over the line in similar situations um, this year. But yeah, one to watch out for. I think I've I've always complimented the fact that they've stayed in the game and played with that champions mentality, got over the line. Uh, but a little bit of heads being lost along with their front line not firing. I think that's one to watch out for as soon as we start uh, twenty twenty four. You know, rather so the point that you were making about all these close results that Arsenal have had, right? I think they have had too much of these close results. Uh, uh, you know, compared to Liverpool and City, probably Liverpool also have had a few, you know, close games which they ended up on the right side. But uh, Arsenal have had too much of that for comfort. I think in the second half of the season, they should try to make, you know, more convincing victories so that, you know, because the more that you end up close to the opponent, you end up on that, you know, like, uh, like betting on luck. So, you might end up on the wrong side a few times. I think that's what Arsenal need to avoid. Mainly, uh, in addition to the struggle, uh, you know, struggle for creativity, I think what they need to uh, look at is the set piece defending. The first time it came to light was against Luton, where uh, Arsenal conceded a couple of goals, at least a couple of goals from set pieces. That happened again in the previous game. Uh, very avoidable uh, goal to concede. Probably if they were only one nil down, they wouldn't be that desperate, you know, ending the match as well. Uh, and and they really need to look for a replacement uh, for Saka if they can. I, I never read about, uh, you know, Arsenal looking out for a right winger. Uh, Arteta never talks about it. Uh, the media doesn't talk about it. And, and that's really surprising. I think Saka, the workload on Saka needs to reduce if Arsenal uh, really want to have hopes. Yeah, listen, guys, forget forget about all of this. There was one disgraceful moment in the game. We are forgetting about that. What, what is Was that a goal or not? I thought it was a fucking disgrace. Yeah, no, definitely it was. If if I was an Arsenal fan, I would be really <laughs> ranting, uh, you know, about that first step, I suppose. The same as we did with the Rashford Hoyland moment. But but you know, what about Moyes, guys? Like that guy is a proper genius. Sixth in the table now, thirty three points. He like like just won a European competition last year. I mean last season. He's had a great uh, you know twenty twenty three. 
so you know after the liverpool 5-1 i was reading that the fans uh, had started to turn slightly on moyes which was very surprising for me to read but you know like from what i was reading it was boiling down to the football and probably i don't know why they are unhappy about it but uh, you know west ham fans being a bit unhappy about the football not that they had uh, become used to very sexy football over the years but i, I think moyes deserves a long rope Uh, and i hope that he wins over the fans properly because what he's done i don't remember any west ham manager in recent history being able to do that all right um, let's let's move on to the to the to the next few games we had the moment the manchester united moment which is this a coming of age for hoyland is this a redemption story in the arc of manchester united this season's take it away guys i i hope so uh, i think uh it, it was an amazing game to watch from a neutral perspective if not from a fan perspective i would say because obviously when villa took that two goal lead and at half time everyone would have just written united off so to come back from that um and ganacho getting those two goals actually getting three goals one of the goals was ruled offside uh and then hoyland deservedly getting that uh, third goal uh it was like stuff of fairy tales um but again uh would i call this united turning uh you know a corner i i wouldn't really say so uh that first half was exactly what has been wrong with us um so far shit at defending uh leaving spaces where you shouldn't be leaving spaces out performed in pretty much in every aspect of the game to begin with there was a brief 10 minute period in the first half where you could have you, you could see that the players are trying to do something but then at the end of half time i pretty much wanted to turn the tv off and like just go right uh, but then uh, something obviously changed in the second half whether it was down to the fact that uh, i don't know pep talk from ten hag or just trusting the system or just you know standing up to the occasion i think that there was there was this spark somewhere and i think Carrot goes a lot to Rashford as well. He was on the left, his favorite position, uh, and I and I think he played really well there. Uh, Garnacho did his bit as well. He was making all those runs, and Rashford was able to find him. Uh, one thing that I was really really annoyed with United about was that they know that Aston Villa, as a team, has got the most number of people offside, right? and yet they were trying the same thing again and again and again in the first half itself i think united got had eight offsides or something like that which is the highest in the season uh, so uh, you know i think second half they kind of learned the lesson but it also came down to villa kind of losing their composure in some ways i felt in the second half uh, villa were not the team that they were in the first half so that obviously helped uh, but yeah it, it was something that we really wanted especially with that game that we had against west ham uh, so let's see what uh, what is in store for ten hag and his uh, and his men going forward so ashwin i differ with you in the in the reading of the first half yes we were very depressed going into half time yes we were toned down and the the biggest worry that i had was you know they would just give up and the second half would be a stroll for villa at home and that would have left left you know such a bad taste in the mouth and and probably for me uh, you know feeling uh, you know that kind of a feeling would have a kind of been a half a death knell for the manager as well uh, in in such a game so that was what i was fearing but i thought intensity wise uh, we were not bad in the first half uh, like 
Aston Villa were definitely the better team. Villa had uh, had a pretty decent half an hour, but they uh, like the only chances they created were the two goals, and those two goals were both from set pieces, which is uh, like suddenly our set piece defending in the last few games has you know gone off the boil. So, but other than that, I thought United were pressing well the entire game. Uh, of course, again we were not attacking properly, as you said, eight offsides. We were just you know falling right into the trap, but. But like the most shocking thing for me in the second half was that we came out, you know, all guns blazing from the first, uh, like from the whistle itself. That was the biggest worry I had, and and it shows that you know there is something really alive and kicking in that dressing room. They are still fighting for the manager, uh, and and that's what I said after the Liverpool game as well. And I was very happy to see that you know they are still fighting for the manager because if you are not fighting for the manager and if if you are not in good spirits somewhere. You won't be able to produce, uh, you know, that kind of a fight back. Uh, so that was a big positive for me. I think, as I told in the talky moment, the academy kids' performance has been a big standout. Uh, I think we were helped by the Villa high line. Uh, kind of, we turned it around so spectacularly, eight times offside, and and kind of used the same tactics but more cleverly. And uh, in the second half, we had only two offsides. So that shows, uh, you know, probably the the performance is a result of United. Enjoying running in behind, which is what people like Rashford uh, and and Garnacho like to do, right? And and Bruno, of course, uh, playing as a uh, as a you know proper ten. Finally, that's what we have been calling out for as well. I think that's the way to go. So a lot of things I think in the Villa style of play favored United. So we'll have to see going forward with teams who are you know more clever about uh, you know uh, you know not giving us the space in behind how do we create chances that's that will be the major thing for me going forward and uh, defensively i think uh, we we were very good in the press against villa it's not easy to you know dominate a well drilled side like villa so i i'll, I'll definitely give it to ten hag the changes that he made in tactics especially at half time uh, but the things to look out for is transition goals as soon as we score we we look like conceding and uh and also set piece we have to look at these two and continue to make the improvements on transition that we have made in you know the last few games but as you said ashwin i am i am like you never know what to expect with united are you going to apologize to johnny evans okay oh for sure for sure i i apologize to him on whatsapp as well he had a real you know goal saving tackle after we scored our second goal all of this wouldn't have been possible and you know at the end of it uh, just the two images that came on social media as well he was there in the 2008-9 winner uh, you know shouting into the camera and and he was celebrating this so yeah it's it's good to have him kind of mentor some of these young guys uh, he's he's not obviously solution for united problems however well he might be playing but yeah i i take my words back about how bad the signing was etc But yeah, uh, just one point before we move uh, on um, on uh, on Ten Hag and what the future might look for him, right? So, of course, the big news that has come up is uh, we have got new minority shareholders in Enyas Group. Uh, so finally, thank fuck, uh, you know this this deal went through. Uh, so Enyas will now own twenty five percent of the Class B voting shares, which gives them a much higher stake. uh which gives them some stake in you know the sporting decisions uh at the club it's a very weird kind of a deal and it's not something that you know you know any any club of this size would have it's basically glazer saying that you know keep our 20, 25% of our shares and do our job 
you know that's 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 how i see the deal uh, what this means for ten hag is that uh, the deal in itself because it will take 7 to 8 weeks to get ratified we will see ten hag at the club until that point in time right so i don't know if that is something that is playing on the players minds and that is why they are you know um playing for him or playing for the club but um tenag is going to be there for the next 7 to 8 weeks at least and that is when jim ratcliffe and 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 his team are going to make any decisions i'm not very excited by it because jim ratcliffe is a fan is a man united fan uh and then he is known to poke quite a bit there are rumors coming out that he he like he, he might be favoring graham potter and those sort of people at the club i don't want potter managing man united at all especially after seeing what he has done with chelsea so yeah i mean uh, excited but very nervous at the same time uh yeah i think um was it i i saw this video on youtube who was chronicling the mourinho era the lvg era the ole era and and then the ten hag era as well and he was looking at it purely from a angle of player power against the manager about how these new stories about um uh, pl- players not being happy with the manager or not being happy with training or leaks happening and things like that and if that's the situation i don't think graham potter is the direction that any, that in a club like this needs to be going definitely need some strong character in charge of the club to to get some people in line uh, but yeah i uh, so I, i mentioned to, I mentioned it to you guys offline i do think that it makes sense if you are if you are a glazer you have all the control you still have the majority of the club and you finally brought in somebody to do a job that you were doing terribly for the last i'm going to say 7 8 years everybody <laughs> every tom dick and harry who's just watched football and has no idea about how to run a football club knew that the problem was that they were not getting their sporting priorities right and if they've set up a new org structure a new team that's just supposed to manage that then it's a step in the right direction i think at least it should move the club in the right direction regardless of who still owns the club and all of that um anyway uh, moving on um, another club uh, in red who seeing a slightly happier um, mid mid season break let's call it it's, there's no break it's, it's getting started tomorrow but um, liverpool are finishing the year at the top of the league a two point lead over arsenal after arsenal uh, fell short at the weekend um I, i like i've been mentioning for the last several weeks if you had told me that we would have been within a point or touching distance of arsenal at at the halfway stage or or city whoever at at the halfway stage we would have bitten your hands off especially where we were when the whole caicedo thing happened the midfield looks like our strength right now the it was so clearly the big weakness in our team last year where the intensity of the team was was drained because our midfielders were not able to press and we weren't like our defensive structure was getting screwed now it really looks like the strength despite the fact that we don't have a defensive midfielder this despite the fact that um we've had a mcallister playing pretty much out of position the whole season and all three of them are pretty much brand new to the team definitely brand new to the team but brand new to the league as well in many cases so yeah i mean great place to be um Uh, i think a little bit iffy performance again against burnley we should have won the game a lot earlier than we did but yeah 
three points in an important week, what turned out to be an important week. City almost had a scare against uh, uh, Everton and then finally came back as well. And they are only going to get better from here. So, yeah, we need every single point with Mo Salah going away on Monday. So, so Nunes scored after 12 games. Is that right? I think start of, uh, after the start of November. I think him coming back to form, I don't know if this is replicable with him because we have seen him, you know, the, the way that he misses chances. But he, him coming into some sort of form would be, I think, very crucial along with Jota coming back when Salah is not there, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to see how we line up when Salah is not there because I do feel like Darwin and Diaz have not forged a connection at all. Uh, maybe it's the style of the of their play is maybe clashing with each other in the sense that neither of them are a look for a pass in behind kind of player, um, and they're both like they both like to cut off the left. So maybe there's a little bit of positional uh, weirdness between the two of them. Whereas Salah and Nunes have absolutely kicked it off like a house on fire. Like uh, Salah loves finding that early pass in behind, and Nunes loves making that run. And Nunes is constantly looking for Salah all the time as well when when he's on the ball. So, I'm interested to see how we line up. I think uh, Jota is definitely coming in. Now, where does he play? Does Nunes maybe go to the left and Diaz goes to the right and Jota plays up front? Uh, that's something Gakpo, of course, is always there to play off the left or in, or in front as well. So, yeah, I'm interested to see how it goes. I was getting a bit worried about Darwin, to be really honest, for the last three, four weeks. Because one thing that you know with Darwin is that if he's on the pitch, you get those really, really scorable chances. And I felt for the last three to four weeks, we've not had those really scorable chances falling to Darwin. And yes, he does miss a shit ton of those. But at least you know that, okay, this is a replicable thing. Eventually, the goals will come and things will look good. But for the last three, four games, I felt that he's doing all the hard work. He's doing all the defending He's doing all the the grunt work that you would expect him to do, but he's not getting the chances, and that was worrying me. Even the goal that he scored, honestly, was a it was a freak goal, right? It's not something that you would score every week. It was definitely an outstanding finish, first time finish, and all of that. So um, I'm still a bit worried. I'm, I want to see us create more chances for him, uh, like we were doing, say, a month ago. So that's the only thing that I'm worried about. I'm not so worried about that missing chances it will eventually cost us and it has cost us already in some games but like we said about uh, Gabriel Jesus um, his impact on the game and the impact on the play till the last month has been so positive like we, we look like a much more dangerous and team that will score goals when he's on the pitch so I think it will get better I hope it get it, it gets better because he definitely needs to work on his finishing yeah, I have a quick question for you, Radha. Like, uh, you mentioned about Salah going to uh, AFCON, but uh, another person who's actually going to AFC is Endo, right? And he's been a dynamite in midfield. So, how do you think that is going to impact your Dude, first, let me just put my hand up and say, I'm just never, ever going to doubt or question this recruitment team at Liverpool ever again. I had, I after like a couple of weeks, I had written off Endo saying that, okay, this is the... Like this is like a proper like weird does not make sense doesn't fit with the intensity levels of this club kind of player. I mean, I could I felt like okay he's doing his best but he's so clearly not at our level. That that guy has been a revelation, man. So in the last three four three four weeks he's been among the top three 
best players in our team. Um, he's had a few off games as well. I don't think I'm comfortable with him playing two games in the week. Definitely mid midweek and the weekend. I'm not very comfortable with it. And he had one off game. Uh, I think it was against United, maybe United or maybe the one before that. He had a he had an off game. Uh, but broadly, he's been outstanding, and we're good. We're really going to miss him. I think one of the abiding images of the season uh, from this week also is going to be that uh, Alexander Arnold miss against Arsenal. Uh, I think that's going to go down in history as you know, like one of the famous Premier League images uh, for four Liverpool players almost side by side, one one Arsenal player, uh, and uh, that ends up against the post. So. Th- uh, that was definitely, I think. Yeah, that I, I mean, we've it's been so long since it's one week, but there's been so much football since that we actually didn't talk about that game. Yeah, that was a chance, man. Uh, and honestly, as a Liverpool fan, watching that chance against a team like Arsenal, it really got me excited because this was the old Liverpool. To see five, six shirts in red just bomb forward, Darwin doing what Mane used to do, and this is such an un underrated, subtle thing that Mane used to do. Mane, when he makes those counter-attacking runs, one thing is he runs for himself. The second thing, he runs just to keep the defender away from the guy on the ball. And that's what Darwin was doing. He just kept uh, Saliba right next to him throughout. And Mo Salah pretty much had the entire pitch to run automatic, like without any anybody coming close to him and played the right pass. There was a slight bobble. And I'll give that to Trent, but somebody with his technique should be scoring that. And... Honestly, if he scores that goal, we're talking about being five points ahead of Arsenal at this at this stage. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, that's a bad miss. He had a very good chance, although that was not, not a bad miss in the United game. It was a very good technique and only somebody with his technique could have even made that like such a good chance. But he had one such opportunity against United as well. This one was a guilt-edged chance. One of those guys should have scored it. So, yeah, big, big miss. But still, at the end of the day, I said it last week as well, if you told me that this is where we would be, uh, and that's better off than last week because now we're top of the league. But if you had told me that we would be in this vicinity after like 19 games, oh man, amazing! I I, I didn't think that we were we were here yet. Uh, we'll we'll move on now. Uh, just coming to some of the other teams, Man City looking like they were about to have another big hiccup against a dangerous and you have to say dangerous Everton right now because they are also uh, performing at a level which. Uh, I think none of us saw coming. They are definitely playing right now with top five, top six kind of form at least. So uh, they scored um, against Man City and Man City have had a troublesome few weeks. So we were wondering whether things are going to go uh, all right for them. Uh, but it looks like it's all coming back. I'm hearing that De Bruyne is going to be back. Haaland is going to be back. Uh, Haaland is pretty much back. So I think now, from now till the end of the season, we're going to see we're going to see what Man City are all about. I think uh, I do think that they are going to finish ahead of Liverpool for sure. It depends on how Arsenal can can ramp up their game in the second half of the season to see who wins the league. Yeah, and uh, like finally, this is the uh, like the first time in his career that uh, I feel Foden has really found his. Uh, you know, uh, uh, like has found his city career uh, completely sparkling under Guardiola. Otherwise, it's always been he plays well, but then he gets benched, etc., etc. But with De Bruyne injured, he's uh, and also Haaland injured. Guardiola has given him the license to be the life and blood of the creative, uh, like uh, you know, the creative part of the team. He's put him in the KDB role, in in a, like in a central role for probably the first time in his city career. Uh, uh, you know, consistently, and Foden has really turned it on along. So he's been the guy who's been in the center. Bernardo Silva has moved back to the right, 
uh, and Bernardo Silva of course plays well in any role you give to him. So I think those two have really uh, turned it on for City, uh, uh, like and and made them have a few convincing victories uh, in the in, in the past few weeks. So definitely, as you said, once all the players are back, they might still take some more time. Uh, you know, give give a bit of head start to the other teams, but then last 15-20 games, uh, sorry, uh, you know, like the last 10-15 games, definitely it's cities, I think, to lose. Yeah, I think, and, the, and all the talks of crisis, they are three points behind Arsenal with a game in hand. So, that is what, that is what City is all about. And like you mentioned, De Bruyne is back or is going to be back in the next two, three games. Haaland is going to be back as well. So, I mean, it's just it's it's so difficult to get rid of this this scum man. Like it's so annoying at times. Uh, just one thing about the Everton game again. War was kind of the center of attention there as well uh, with the whole penalty. I think Daesh was fuming after the after the game that you know how in you know they need to be very they need to be consistent with all those decisions and they're just not consistent. And Tab Guardiola also kind of agreed agreed with him on that. But yeah, I mean, City definitely deserved the points in that particular game. They they should have actually wrapped up the points against Palace as well. But I think there was a momentary lapse of concentration and all of that happened. So that's how they lost those points. Uh, but yeah, uh, this is the time when City actually come really good. Uh, they can go in that 10, 12, 13 game run and then just turn it, turn it around. Uh, but what I'm really liking about the season this time around is that it's not a two uh, two horse race; it's actually a three horse race. So that is something interesting. And uh, one one more thing to note about this game was the city fans baiting the Everton fans, calling them you know that you are cheats. So <laughs> city fans, uh, you know, better uh, you know that's the confidence that even guilty people get when they know that they are never going to be convicted. To be fair, I think, I'm sure that was tongue-in-cheek, but sounds pretty funny uh, if that was the chant. I didn't know that they were chanting. Well, I totally forgot this was the FFP actually. derby. <laughs> yeah, FFP derby. Man, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, Everton, very impressive. I think they're going to be absolutely... I was, I, I was talking to uh, some people earlier in the week um, that it might really come down to those 10 points being deducted, being the difference between Europe and not. For, for Everton. That's how well that they're playing. Um, if you add the 10 points to their points total, they're actually in the United-Chelsea zone uh, of the table it's, itself, right? And considering that the form that they're in, that could be the difference between playing in Europe and not this season. So, uh, and <laughs> I th- I, it's still under appeal. So, if you actually look at the Premier League table, there is a star at the bottom that says that Everton have been docked points and it is still under appeal. Um, so, yeah, maybe something changes there. Maybe 10 becomes 5 or 10 becomes 4. And you never know. That could totally change the the way that their season is going. Uh, and we must be, we would be talking about something totally different about Everton this entire season in that case. Um, the other team uh, that that's always in the news, uh, Spurs. I think um, they are really struggling with their injury crisis. They played really well, I think, against Everton and deservedly won. Um, then they just got thumped by Brighton yesterday. I think that's just what we're going to get with this Spurs team. Uh, they're going to. I don't think they played as well against Brighton. I think they got properly washed, like played off the park uh, by Brighton. Uh, but yeah, they're going to be entertaining front going going ahead or going at the back. Uh, so yeah, they're still 
there or thereabouts uh, on the in the table they're they're in fifth with 36 points so they're still only four points behind arsenal so everything is up up for grabs i think this season so just about who's the least inconsistent i think and they're going to have the best season going forward coming to chelsea uh, i was just i was watching the game with ab last week when 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 chelsea lost um, and it was so similar to the united game i felt the one against west ham where they conceded a goal of a set piece where the guy didn't even have to jump to get a header from the six yard box and it's just some of the goals that they're conceding are so amateurish and and then the next week they score a late winner just like United did. Like they scored a 89th minute uh, winner uh, at um, a couple of days back to win the game. So uh, they seem to be absolutely matching United leg for leg in in what they're doing. Disappointing loss followed that that everybody expected them to win, followed by a late winner um, in in a game. So uh, what do you guys think? You you think it's going to turn the tide? They have in Kunku coming back, who definitely looks like he's impacting their play. He has been involved in their last two or three goals uh, that they've scored as well. So, do you think that it's moving in the right direction or do you think it's still going to be the enigmatic ping-pong uh, every week? It's it's definitely going to be enigmatic. I don't see, you know, huge encouragement in terms of them turning around uh, or looking convincing throughout games or, uh, you know, looking like winning a lot of matches. Uh, as you said, there seems to be a real, you know, concern about the way that, uh, like, some of the pressing happens, some of the set piece defending, the chances that they concede. So, uh, and and then they don't, uh, like, they are not able to turn their control. Uh, like, whenever they have control, they are not able to turn it into goals. So, and and also you see them, you know, lose their body language whenever they have a setback. Generally, you see them the like shoulders drooping, which is not a good sign. So, so a lot of issues, but. I think along with that, there are a lot of silver linings also. So it's it's a very enigmatic team, as you said. Uh, you you can't you know make sense out of all the things that are happening. So one of the things is that the recent home form has been pretty good. Uh, if if my stats are right, they have gone six games unbeaten at home. Uh, like uh, uh, like the win against Crystal Palace was the sixth game unbeaten at home. Uh, if I'm not wrong. And secondly, they seem to be winning a lot of games uh, on XG, which is not a bad thing. I, I, I you know, on on balance, I suppose. Uh, in the whole Premier League, no one has won more games on XG than Chelsea have. So you know, you can't understand that stat at all because it doesn't pass the eye test at all. But then I think uh, with all these things happening, uh, players, you know, so many players injured. We have talked about United injuries, Newcastle, Brighton. But Chelsea also have a lot of players injured. So it's, and you know, it all comes down to the ownership. Chelsea have been pathetic under the new ownership, and it's not to do with the manager. Definitely for me, Poch needs more time just to kind of adjust with that. I, I think people who are at very badly run clubs, they, they uh, you know, they deserve an even longer rope than other managers. Yeah, so that's something we should definitely take up on the next episode of the Talkie Taka podcast when Ab is back. Because Ab is, I think, beginning to question uh, Poch's uh, suitability of just getting things like the set piece right. Like these are things that you need to be coaching into your teams, organizing in a set piece. You can't let somebody get a free header without even jumping in the six yard box. Things like that. I think he's running out of patience a bit. But I totally I agree with you that there are structural problems there at Chelsea, and we'll come we'll come to that. I think when we go through some of the other sections that we're going to talk about today. 
Ashwin, you want to do, jump do, in? Do they, yes, about the set-piece situation. Do they need a set-piece coach? Because United basically had the worst coach ever. Like, happy to, you know, ship him to Chelsea if they are looking for one. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, I don't know about you guys, but I'm playing football manager and I've, the first thing I did was hired a set piece coach who seems to be doing a great job. I'm scoring tons of goals off set pieces. So yeah, I can I can pass on the contact to, to Chelsea and United if you guys are interested. All right, enough with that stuff. Let's get to the fun stuff now, guys. We're going to review 2023, the best and worst um, that, that, that have happened in 2023. The format of this is, I'm going to say the topic that we're going to be discussing. You guys need to tell me who is the best or the worst in that particular topic and you can have one line to describe why i'll come to you first ashwin then we'll do rk then then i'll i'll give you mine all right ashwin let's start with you the first thing that we're going to check the best team of 2023 ashwin coming uh, yeah uh unsurprisingly i would say like it's man city any team that wins the travel deserves that title All right, short and sweet, RK. It's 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 pretty much same with me as well. I, I mean the like like now Man City is the best club in the world. Uh, so so definitely, I think no arguments on that. It hurts. It hurts to say that. It hurts to say that, and I will never uh, openly get into this 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 discussion and just toot Man City's horn so much. But yeah, since you guys were anyway going for Man City, I've gone for Arsenal. Um, of course. They're not as good as Man City, of course. We all know that. But I think that Arsenal have successfully reached a level now. This is the second consecutive season where they are operating in the Man City strata. So I think that's that's something in its own. Uh, uh, until like it was only Liverpool who was even in the same walking distance as of Man City for the last six seven years, and now Arsenal seem to be there. So yeah, I would I'm, I'm shout out to Arsenal. I'm calling them the best team, even though with a big rider saying, of course, a treble winning Man City team are the best team in the world and the best team in the league for sure. All right, best signing guys. Let's start with you, Ashwin. Uh, for me, I, we spoke about him at uh, Declan Rice. For me, I think he's just transformed that midfield. Uh, they had Jaka playing there last last season, and he was nothing but a crybaby. I felt so. I think yeah. Good signing, uh, decent enough price. Uh, of course, he came with the English tax, but I think he's he's just been a revelation. I think Ashwin, you you will have a lot of gunners gunning for you for that statement you made on Zaka. <laughs> Zaka, I thought had a really good season uh, in in attacking midfield, and and they had Partey in the defensive midfield. Partey will hopefully come into the picture very soon. Uh, he's also nearing fitness, I suppose, but. But I agree with you on the signing. I think Rice has been uh, like a really talismanic signing. Whatever we expected from him, he's done that. Uh, and and you know, if Arsenal have to have a shot at the title, he, they will need Rice to continue stepping up. But that's exactly the sort of characters that you need, right? To kind of pump you up, motivate you for the title. So definitely looking forward to more from Rice. Uh, but but you know, since we are on this topic of best transfer, I'm just going to add a couple more names. Uh, uh, Spurs, I thought, have been very good in the transfer strategies since Ange, Ange has come in. It's an example of a very badly uh, run club, probably, you know, under Conte, etc. Suddenly being able to turn it around. So, that gives hope for other people. Vicario and Van de Ven 
have been outstanding signings for me you you combine the transfer fees maybe uh, it comes to 40 45 million uh, or even less and they are absolutely top class players uh, I, i think they are absolutely bound for the top so being able to pull out transfers like that and transform the whole you know makeup of the team in terms of build up and the pace that they offer i think outstanding signings uh, for me yeah absolutely uh, vicario currently leads uh, the the league on goalkeeping stats he has saved 6.9 goals more than expected far and away the number one in the league right now uh, ahead of the likes of onana ariola alisson and the rest who have done 3 and a half to 4 Uh, goals that they've saved, so Vicario is that much ahead of everybody else. And Van der Ven, yes, uh, I think Liverpool were linked with him, and we need that left-sided centre back. And I was like, I just couldn't believe that we let somebody like this pass uh, from under our noses. But anyway, um, mine on this, um, I'm little bit of cheating. I'm going to go out of the Premier League to say this, and I don't think there is any debate about this. The signing of the season, and probably. I called it a few episodes back. Ballon d'Or for next year, Jude Bellingham. Man, I mean, this guy is box office. He's probably for for me right up there with best player in the world uh, right now. Transformational, yes, Declan Rice. He was one of my picks at the start of the season for the Premier League. But transformational, Jude Bellingham has been incredible. A little bit of a shout out to Dom Sabozlai as well. I I would call him. as a pretty amazing signing from a liverpool perspective he's right up there as well for the top signings in the premier league um, transformed our energy in midfield and his technique and so he has the harrying ability that henderson does but he also has some top class technique gets out of uh, gets out of tough situations very easily and he seems like he's built like a bull as well so yeah uh, bellingham my top signing sobosly if you're talking about the league So, so I was just seeing a video earlier today, uh, where you know the reporter asked Klopp. This is when they were tenth in the table, I suppose, sometime in Feb, uh, and and he asked him, uh, you know, are you the right man to turn this around for Liverpool? And you know, Klopp says absolutely yes. And to see him transform that midfield in a single window, where we all knew what the weakness was, and he's brought in three, four really good players. Uh, have to say that's that's been and Sobosly, I think, has been the flag bearer of that. two players two players two players from the bundesliga might i add okay our bundesliga consultant had to come in there uh, the most improved team ashwin yeah I- I think I think for me, uh, even though recent results haven't gone their way, but uh, Aston Villa, uh, they went on that run of what, how much was it, seventeen wins in a row or something like of that sort, which is which is just very City esque. Uh, I think Unai Emery has done an incredible job. Um, like yeah, Aston Villa fans are behind him as well. Uh, they are the team to beat, and they are ending the uh, the uh, the calendar year uh, at. Uh, the third spot, which is incredible for a team of Aston Villa's size. Yeah, definitely Villa, one of the teams. I I went for Everton because start of the year we were pretty much expecting the worst for Everton, which a lot of us didn't want. But it seemed as if that hard reality is coming closer and closer. And then Daesh comes in, and uh, uh, and and they have that famous one nil win against uh, Arsenal, which starts. Arsenal's poor form last season as well, and since then, you know, in steps and steps, he's he's uh, you know made them get better and better. Despite a ten point deduction, they are still doing so well. 
they they have lost a few games to end the year but that's been against very tough opposition and they have given them a right right scare whether it's city whether it's spurs whether it's united anyone you know everton always give a game so the most improved team is is definitely everton and i'm just hoping that you know they they ride through this period they survive uh, and you know they go to the new stadium and probably they also get some philip in terms of the ownership yeah uh, i think um... I had Villa and then I had Everton and you guys have just nicked them from under my nose. So, I'm going to go Bournemouth. I think uh, when we started off this season, Bournemouth were looking like relegation fodder to be really honest. And the only reason that they may not have got relegated perhaps was because the three promoted teams were that bad. Uh, that's what it looked like. Uh, Everton, of course, I had them in the relegation zone uh, as well. And they're looking now nowhere close to relegation. So, of course, improvement is incredible. Villa, we all know. But Bournemouth are the informed team in the league over a 10-game period, which is not small. Um, so, uh, they're right up there with Liverpool, 22 points in 10 games uh, in the last 10. So, uh, incredible turnaround from Iraola. I think uh, we all... I don't think any of us were taking Bournemouth seriously, but given their record in the last 10 games, I think they're a tough game for any team to look at right now. And uh, I don't know what's happened to Dom Solanke, but boy, that guy can play. He's, he's looking like one of the informed players in the league. So, yeah, Bournemouth, a, a shout-out if we have to go a different direction from Villa and everything. And, and, and also, thanks in no small part to Swagger. <laughs> yep, he should have, they should have got relegated last season if it wasn't for Swag. Uh, all right, the best match. This, this should be interesting. The best match of 2023. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go for uh, the Luton Arsenal game. Uh, I think it was a game uh, where, you know, which had everything. It had a lot of goals. It had tackles flying in. It was played at this stadium, which which does not feel like a Premier League stadium. And like uh, the fans are all behind. And the way that Arsenal came back to win it, um, so the Luton three four Arsenal game is is the one that I will go for. Uh, there, I think we were spoiled this season. There, like there have been so many so many good games, but I think the fact that this is a new team which took the ante to Arsenal, I think that's that's what wins it for me. I think I'll I'll go for a few. Uh, so, uh, like the first one is Arsenal Bournemouth the three two where Nelson scores in the ninety seventh minute. I think that uh, you know that was the game that had a lot of us going. Uh, that this is the destiny, and probably that was the game that made Arsenal fans so disappointed when it didn't happen finally. Because even they thought that you know it's written in their stars. Special, special game. Uh, uh, you know, being able to do that in the 97th minute in a title race. Uh, also, uh, I think the Barcelona United game. Uh, you know, that was probably the peak of Ten Hag's short tenure. Uh, it was a great game to watch. Both teams going at each other full throttle at the new camp, uh, special atmosphere. So, th- that is one. And uh, also recently, I think one of the most impressive games to end the year was the City Spurs 3-all, where Spurs kind of kept fighting from a losing position and then they were able to draw the game. Yeah, I had uh, I had Chelsea City 4-4. It's always great when you see a 4-4. Um, in the league and that, that ended with Cole Palmer taking that high-pressure penalty against his old club. So, yeah, uh, uh, that was a pretty uh, epic end to a great game. 
So, yeah, but all the games that you mentioned, for sure. From a personal point of view, I have to say Newcastle-Liverpool 1-2. The one with Darwin comes on with 10 men and we end up uh, smashing and grabbing there. Uh, I think that really set the tone for our season from a character and mentality point of view. And from then onwards, we always knew that, okay, there's going to be fight regardless of whether the performance is there. And we have had other... Such like against Fulham, we we had like a comeback story as well. We had plenty of comebacks in the season. I think that set the tone for the rest of the season. So, yeah, that's an important one from a Liverpool perspective. All right, uh, the surprise package uh, of the season, of the year 2023. Yeah, for, <clears throat> so for me, I'm actually uh, dipping my toes back into the Bundesliga. So, um, Bayer Leverkusen and the great job that Javi Alonso has been doing there. Um, so, if any day Jurgen Klopp decides to step down, you already have a replacement in Fabio Alonso. Uh, they've ended the season on top of the Bundesliga. Uh, they are unbeaten. They haven't lost a single game in the Bundesliga as well. So, man, that that for me was a big surprise. I, I was probably expecting Dortmund to come roaring back after you know the disappointment that they had, had uh, last season. But Bayer Leverkusen have just... Taken everyone by Just a couple of points uh, on on what Ashwin is saying. If there is somebody who has half half decent talent in the Bundesliga and they're not in Bayern, they get signed by Bayern. So if uh, if Alonso goes anywhere, he's going to go to Bayern. Uh, the fact that he has a Bayern history also doesn't help there. The second thing is the the, the guy leading the charge for uh, for Alonso isn't it one Granit Xhaka? Isn't isn't he uh, one of the top Top performing players in that amazing system and amazing team. So yeah, a couple of uh, not a cry, not a not a cry, baby. Yeah, not just just a few seconds after Ashwin uh, wipes uh, some Jaka dust under the carpet, he talks about how his current team is is killing it in the Bundesliga. But yeah, that's a great shout. Uh, definitely surprised everybody here. RK, what's your surprise package? Even I am dipping my feet outside the Premier League for this. Uh, it's is Girona. Who are also, you know, it's always these kind of contests. It's like, it's like a leopard against a tiger. You know that they are going to end up losing at the end. Uh, like we saw it with Union Berlin, who lost out at the end as well. But Girona have written one of the best stories of this year. So let's hope they do well. Yeah, ever since Swag told me that they were owned by Citigroup, some of the romance in Girona's performance have, has just dwindled for me. But yeah, absolutely didn't know that this team existed and then saw them top of the league ahead of Real, Real and Barca. So yeah, pretty shocking. Definitely qualifies as a surprise package. Uh, mine, I would go with either Liverpool or United. Liverpool because they're much higher on, uh, far farther along than I expected them to be. And United, I, I actually expected United after the bonus year, which I thought they had last year, finishing in the Champions League places. I thought that this would be the year where we actually see a lot of different stylistic uh, elements to to uh, Ten Hag's play, which I don't think has come, come into play. And they've actually struggled a bit as well. So, Liverpool and United are my surprise packages uh, for, for the season or for the year, actually. Uh, all right, this should be an easy one. I think I know. I see some of you have put in some. Well, no, I'm the only one who even tried to put in some kind of uh, second option. Uh, but best goal of of 2023. I mean, man, you can. <laughs> There's just one goal, right? Uh, the the audacity of the kid to even attempt to try that. So Garnacho against Everton. Uh, I think it was one of the best bicycle kicks that we have seen and we have seen a few from uh, you know his uh, his uh, talisman Ronaldo in 
recent years. Uh, I mean, should I dare say it's better than the Rooney one? It's probably one of the best goals in the, the Premier League as we've seen, I would say. Um, but yeah, I, I think another one that I really liked was the goal that Bruno Fernandes scored, Bruno Fernandes scored against Galatasaray. I think that kind of reminded me of the goal that Cristiano Ronaldo got against Porto all those years ago, a similar kind of distance. Uh, unfortunately, the result wasn't something that favoured us, but yeah, that those are the two goals that I really liked. Yeah, Garnacho won for me as well. I, I just hope that he stops doing it too often. Like, you know, after the Everton goal, he's tried it twice, I think. So, yeah. Yeah, he's had a couple of uh, couple of attempts at, at audacious things after that game. But yeah, obviously, Garnacho was mine as well. But if I had to pick an, a, a second option, uh, McAllister's one against Fulham was an absolutely outstanding a throwback. Uh, I think uh, reminded me a lot of the... Uh, the Cisse goal that Newcastle from the guy from Newcastle scored against Chelsea all those years ago, although that was much from a much more acute angle, but a very similar strike and the cut on the ball, everything was quite similar to that. So yeah, absolutely love that goal from McAllister. Um, all right, I, I think we have just one more in the best, and then we move to the worst, the best manager of the year. Ashwin, let's start with you. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm going outside the men's football and I'm. Um, I'm going to give this to Serena uh, Serena Weidman. Uh, the fact that she won the Euros last year in 2022 and then took the three Lionesses almost on the brink of glory uh, and won the World Cup as well, I think she definitely deserves uh, the plaudits. Uh, so for me, I mean, I, would, I could have gone with Pep Guardiola, but, you know, I always give these awards to Pep Guardiola. So I'm going to go with Serena instead. For me, it's Emery. Uh, she's she's done the you know uh, job which most people didn't expect that Aston Villa will be at this level and the level to which he's got them well drilled, well organized, uh, being able to pass the ball so easily, being able to pass it out from the back, being able to create a lot of chances, score a lot of goals, and you know not necessarily having the best investment, but being able to invest very smartly, getting good players, so. Emery has turned around Aston Villa like anything. It's it's one of the biggest clubs in in England historically, and he's kind of, you know, given the fans uh, a lot to cheer after after many many years. So uh, Unai Emery is definitely the like manager of the year. I think it was a, as the host of this podcast, I had a great opportunity to go first in all of these, but I've I've chosen to go third, and I'm, a lot of my ch- picks are getting picked up. Uh, so if I couldn't go for Emery, Emery was mine as well. But if I can't go for Emery, I'm going to say Arteta for the same reasons why I mentioned Arsenal earlier for the best team as well. I think Arsenal uh, two years ago would you have said. Arsenal would be the kind of team that they are now? No, I don't think so. Um, I think there was slow, very slow progress being made at the club. And while there was some progress being made, I don't think any of us imagined that they're going to be a challenger team so quickly and so and consistently in the second season as well. So, yeah, I think huge ups to uh, Arteta. They've done a great job. If I can't pick um, Emery, uh, I will go with Arteta as the best manager. All right, let's move into the worsts now. This should be a little tasty and interesting. Worst team of 2023. Ashwin, I see an interesting choice. Yeah, it's the team that I support. <laughs> so, I think... Okay, let me explain. This is probably coming from the... Stemming from the fact that, you know, expectations were much higher 
of Man United this season, right? Because if we remember the first pod, all of us were so positive about the signings, the fact that we had done them so early and we had a reasonably good season. We won a trophy as well. But then things have gone south uh, and we have been absolutely dreadful. There is no visible style of play as well. Uh, of course, not really helped with the fact that we have had a lot of injuries, but I think this team has had some of the worst has ha, has had one of the worst starts in Premier League history. Certainly, the worst start for Man United in like the last seventy years. So it has to be the worst team of twenty twenty three, at least for me. I think hands down, hands down, Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea have had such a terrible, uh, uh, you know, few eighteen eighteen months or so since Tuchel got fired. And uh, of course, since Boyley came in, so I I think it's it's a uh, it's been the you know Boyley era. Chelsea have been by their standards, if you compare any team, they have been the worst team in in probably the world. So everything that can go wrong has gone wrong for them in the dressing room, on the pitch, off the pitch. They had unlimited reserves, and at the end of spending one billion, you really if you can't see that one billion in the team, uh, you know then definitely something is really terribly rotten uh, out there. They have signed a lot of good players. I'm not saying that, you know, it's been a complete waste of money, but uh, Chelsea have a lot to do to turn this around. So, definitely Chelsea. The yeah, I've team. got Chelsea as well. And now I'm just going to stop bothering to change my answer after listening to your, you guys' answers. So, yeah, I've got Chelsea as well. Uh, pretty much the same reasons. Um, when you spend that much um, that much money you don't expect to be looking at the squad and saying, hey, there are some serious gaps there. There are some serious gaps in that position. Oh, we don't have a goal scorer. Uh, I, you don't expect to be in a position that you're in right now when you're actually questioning personnel. Um, sure, there might be some time that it'll take certain people to level up. But I think there are some people that already uh, look like they maybe are not the right level and maybe we'll talk about a few of them as we as we go on on this as well but yeah for the same pretty much the same reasons as rk mentioned uh chelsea for me are um and and let's be clear they're not the worst club but if you have to talk about it in this topic here uh, i would say chelsea for me as well yeah and and you know the funny part is a lot of players that they just signed like disasi and madhuweke they're talking of shipping them out again yeah and that's so, that and another part of another part of the reason why I'm see on the pitch stuff. I think a lot of teams have had bad seasons on the pitch, right? But the high risk strategy of how, what they did in the transfer market and what that could potentially do to their business going forward with the eight year contracts. Maybe some of these guys don't get sold now because of their contracts and and things like that, right? So I, I'm it's a ticking time bomb. Uh, so that's that's one of the reasons why I put them there. Now, obviously, Lavia and Caicedo and Enzo, you put that midfield together, maybe they'll shut everybody up, right? It's possible. But for me right now, I would say that uh, Chelsea are the most underwhelming considering what they've done and also considering their own history. All right. Uh, worst manager of 2023? I assume we're going to have a very similar discussion to what we just did about the clubs. Yeah, Chelsea are shit, so... <laughs> Yeah, that's the bottom line. Uh, yeah, Graham Potter for me, right? Like, he came again with so much fanfare uh, start of last season and obviously did not deliver. Um, I think Ab has possibly, you know, you know, ranted the most number of times about any manager uh, and Graham Potter. I mean, he, he just wasn't able to weave his magic. So, uh, there was 
just no visible signs of improvement and this is what makes it even more scary for me as a man united fan and you know there are articles coming out that Ineos might be looking at Graham Potter as potentially replacing Eric Ten Hag. Uh, so yeah, for me, hands down, Graham, Graham Potter. Yeah, it's it's the same for me. And uh, one sign, uh, you know, one sure shot sign that a manager is not able to cope with the size of the club is when he he makes statements which are out of tune with his character. So Potter, you know, after a few months, started doing that. And it's it started looking very artificial. Uh, I can't remember exact examples, but you know, I, I, and at that time you know that his belief is gone. He he doesn't back himself. So obviously, the players will be able to sense that, and then they stop playing for the manager. So Potter and definitely even I am scared by that prospect. I I think he's a good manager, but if you're talking of worst managers of the year, Potter and his struggles at Chelsea. Uh, definitely up. Yeah, so just for some freshness and not having three potters in the house, I'm going to go with Ten Hag. Um, now, obviously, a controversial one. I don't think Ten Hag is the worst manager in the league, of course. But I expected, after the springboard of finishing in the top four last season, I expected a lot more from United this season. And sure, uh, obviously, you can understand that uh, injuries is going to screw up your results and stuff like that. But what really bothered me is I'm not seeing any ideal like ideology wise or stylistic wise consistently enough any change in the way that united have been playing this season um tactically i'm not seeing he's supposed to be one of the astute tacticians in the world right when they signed him and it was between poch and him and and he was he was coming off as the more progressive choice at the time right so i don't think i've seen that from him and i thought that this was the season where we would see that and Every time I'm tempted to give him the benefit of, benefit of doubt and say that, hey, injuries and all of that, I always think about Anjip Postecoglou. And the fact that very clearly, and nobody's saying Anjip is the best, but it's very clear that, okay, he comes in with an idea and you now know that this team is going to play a certain way with a certain set of principles. I've not found that as consistently. I did, I did think that there were signs of that against Aston Villa at the weekend where there were some clear tactical nuances that happened at halftime where he was able to get the better of the opposition. I don't think I've seen enough of that this season. So that's been the disappointing thing for me and I'll go with Ten Hag here. Alright, the next one. Uh, okay, the worst moment of 23. This should be interesting. Uh, yeah, for me, it's like, for for me, it's Andrew Nana. Uh, he came again. He's one of those who so the, came the in worst, with a lot the worst of moment, uh, Ashwin. So I was, I was saying the worst moment of the season so far. Oh, so I can name a lot of uh, Andre Onana moments if you want. To, <laughs> but okay, uh, I thought you, I thought you were going for the worst signing. Uh, worst moment. Uh, I mean, firstly, yeah, I can go with a few Andre Onana howlers, but the one that I really want to talk about, which really put, uh, you know. The game to shame was the what happened after the uh, women's World Cup, and uh, and you know what the head of the Spanish FA did. I mean, it it, it is just exactly what's wrong with the world today, and you know how a man in authority can you know really get away with anything, and he just ended up planting a kiss on uh, on a on a woman footballer that too someone who has won you the World Cup, right? So, I, and everything that happened and all the mudslinging that happened after the game, 
it was just not good for the game i felt and i mean i was really disappointed as a follower of women's football as a follower of football uh, and i think they did the right thing by you know sacking him or him potentially uh, him leaving uh, more so uh, but i think that really put the game to shame so that for me was the worst moment of 2023 For me, it's early August when United. It almost looked as if United are going to retain Greenwood. It was a nightmare situation for me because it was one year on from the whole Super League issue, and I thought this is again going to be something which is going to bring a lot of you know uh, bad limelight, lot of bad momentum, uh, bad press to United. And of course, it's not just about the PR and the press. It it's actually bad also in the spirit of the club. it's not good that you trying to get a player who's been accused of what he has and it's it's not been a proper trial right he it, like a trial never happened so and with so much of video evidence out in the open there's really not much of uh, you know in terms of defense that united could have put up uh, and also trying to bring up a women's team uh, and and having so many women supporters it's uh, it, it it wouldn't have looked good at all so that was definitely a light nightmare couple of days till the time that united did a u turn and said that you know they, uh, you know they would look to sell greenwood then keep him so that was my worst uh, couple of days i think of the year all right so mine was just the entire saudi league as a whole i feel like it's not nobody wants to watch that football there are some 5000 3000 1000 people in the crowd watching those games and so many of the best players in the world have already gone there i think nobody would have expected the level of players to have gone there uh, last summer nobody would have expected that lot of players like some would say who had 3 4 more years uh, still available to them to play in england or play in other top leagues have ended up going there which is a very dangerous thing because now the bar is set very high uh, so it's only going to get better from here in terms of quality of players so yeah i'm very worried about that and it's also a league that nobody cares about and you're never going to watch the football it's 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 like a cheat code of a league against like nobody else operates with the same rules so yeah, i don't like it at all all right let's go to the worst signing of 2023 and before we come to a little bit more positivity to end the episode Ashwin, what's yours? The worst signing. Well, I think I already revealed it. <laughs> so, um, Onana. Uh, so many bad moments. Uh, I think, uh, like watching Champions League football with Onana in your team is like was so nerve nerve wracking. He's had he's made so many mistakes already. Now I get the reason why we saw, signed Onana. I get that he was. the best goalkeeper in europe at least in the champions league last season but he's just not stepped up like he's making so many basic mistakes and i just hope he comes good and he does not turn out to be like a roy carroll kind of a, a signing uh, i think he will but as of now as it stands he's definitely one of the worst signings that we have made yeah i don't i don't again don't agree with ashwin on that one i think uh, onana I I can understand where he's coming from. Uh, uh, it's been hell watching some of those <laughs> blunders, but I I think he's he's been improving. Uh, and at the risk of saying again, jinxing him, the last time I said it, he came up with another blunder. But I I think Onana is going to come good. My worst signing of the season is Matthews Nunes. Uh, we have barely seen anything of him. 
uh, there's been public uh, comments from Pep saying that he's not yet ready uh, to play his style of football, not have having a very good touch, etc. So and what fucking luxury this Pep Guardiola has, man! Seriously, like, <laughs> like he, he's Cal- this guy is Calvin Phillips part two, it. Absolutely, definitely. So so yeah, Nunes for me. yeah. I'm just happy that they didn't get their hands on Declan Rice and Lucas Paqueta because if they did, oh my God. I think the best signings of the season discussions would have been in that direction only. Uh, but yeah, if, if if again, this guy, I don't really get the hype so much. He's lightning fast, but I don't see the, the level of quality that I'd expected for an 85, 86, 88 million signing in Mikhailo Mudrik. Um, I think he's one who's... I, I thought for a moment you're talking of Anthony, but so I I, honestly, that, honestly, that, that, the that. vibes I get are very Anthony-esque in the sense that I see that obviously there are some skills, there are some skill set that he has, and pace is the most obvious one for Mudrik. And to be fair, he is now becoming more involved in what they're trying to do. He's coming up with contributions. He scored a few goals in the last few months. Uh, sure, he's going to get better, but considering that he's we're talking about eighty-five million, and this is in the in the zone of yeah, Anthony and. Who's that guy who Arsenal signed? Who Nicolas Pepe was that him, uh, or something Pepe, right? So that guy. So these kinds of fees are typically reserved for like extremely high-performing players and stuff like that. And Mudrik, I'm not, I'm not sure whether he's there, but sure he can absolutely come in. He's very young and he can prove a lot of people wrong. So, but yeah, for now I'm going to go with Mudrik. All right, let's finish up this episode with some positivity, guys. 2024 what's the dream what do you what do you want your club to do what do you hope happens in january and the rest of the year let's start with you ashwin yeah i think for me uh like the enyas deal obviously uh went through so one can only hope as a united fan that you know this kind of lays down the foundation for a full takeover at some stage uh i know at least that whatever that uh, so Jim Ratcliffe has talked about till now seems really positive. Uh, it seems that he will actually have twenty nine percent control of the club and not twenty five percent control of the club. He is going to put in some money um, um, to revamp. Uh, well, revamp is a strong word, but at least make some um, you know aesthetic changes to Old Trafford, uh, which which would really help. I really hope that you know there is some additional funding that we will be able to get and we make some good signings. Maybe not this transfer window, but at least in the summer transfer window. Again, like I said earlier, uh, excited but very nervous at the same time. But I am here is hoping that something good comes out of their industry. For me, uh, I am hoping that Ten Hag does an Arteta and turns it around in 2024. I still think he's a really good manager. You do, uh, you know, you do, uh, don't just produce what he did at Ajax in terms of how, uh, you know, intricate some of the stuff was and suddenly go from that to being a bad manager. Uh, there, there's a lot behind the scenes in the structure, in the, in the way that we conduct our transfers, which has not helped him at all, uh, where he has got, you know, uh, like needed to get involved out of his own, his own comfort zone in terms of, you know, getting the players that he wants. And it's it's not easy to, uh, you know, impose your style of play when you have people completely at at variance with what you want to play, like a McTominay or a Maguire or, or an Evans, right? So 
like one of uh, so so one of my hopes also is that he's able to clear out some of these people like a martial and some of the other names i said and get in people who are more suited to his style because even if two or three players are not suited it it kind of you know breaks the system and also i i hope that he gets smarter with how he wants to build the team because it's not that we don't have an identity at all but the identity that he planned for us was completely half baked it led to us being very open uh and uh, you know on transitions and and stuff like that which we can go on about but i i really hope he learns from that and has a second coming i i think he can do it uh and he needs some help from united and he needs to set things of his own in order as well all right uh for me just more of the same please for liverpool just keep going darwin should if darwin can get hot and start scoring some of those that he's bloody hitting the post on and if we can get tiago back into this team i think that will be a tasty proposition tiago sabozlai mcallister i think that will be some really exciting stuff for for liverpool fans um i hope we get a defender i don't know who's available but i hope we get a left footed defender who can also play left back because i think that, that that's the one depth area which is looking a bit concerning after matips out for the season robertson long injury simikas long injury it's looking a little dangerous there so yeah just get somebody in january and then more of the same just fucking go for every trophy that's available semi final of the carling cup or the carabao cup still in a decent position in the europa league uh, top of the league at the middle of the season just nobody I don't think anybody would have expected this so just go for it and here's hoping that 2024 is a great year for Liverpool. All right some optimism and positivity from after going through the worsts of the season uh, just to change the mood up a bit but that's about all we have the time for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about a few FPL tips and we'll also talk about some of some big games like Liverpool versus Newcastle. Uh, but all that for next week have a great new years and see you all in 2024 listeners bye bye